is we grapple with these larger systems and institutions that are responsible for the harm, the inequities, the injustices in the world. How do we ensure that while we're on this road to repairing the world, while we're on this road to rebuilding a new economy and transforming institutions, that we ourselves are a reflection of that transformation? You ready? We getting down to business. Investing in existence. Shifting from a system steeped in extraction. That steady sapping our peoples and planet to cash and slashing widening gaps in our access to land, wealth, peace, satisfaction. Imagine basing relations on more than transactions. It's time for new pathways and we need to shape them through our inner landscapes, our relations, our approach, our dedication. We're on the road to repair as a commitment to transformation. Welcome to The Road to Repair, a podcast exploring our journey out of a business-as-usual economy toward collective healing and liberation. We are your co-hosts, Andrew X, Jessica Norwood, and I'm Dikishka Iyengar. And we're very excited for this conversation. Welcome, y'all, to what is somehow our last episode of this first season. This is your co-host, Nikishka, and I cannot believe we're at the end. Now, this isn't really the end, of course, because we'll be back for more next season, but this is a moment of celebration for us. If you listen to this podcast um, from the beginning, then you know that we all came together at the start of this pandemic and... Well, we are nearing two years of life under COVID. You might be wondering, does it really take two years to put out a podcast with just eight episodes? And I'll say not if you're in it to just produce a podcast. But for us, it wasn't just about the podcast, right? It was an experiment and an embodiment, truly. As we grapple with these larger systems and institutions that are responsible for the harm, the inequities, the injustices in the world, How do we ensure that while we're on this road to repairing the world, while we're on this road to rebuilding a new economy and transforming institutions, that we ourselves are a reflection of that transformation? So in this season finale, we're sharing a few things. We're sharing the ways in which we've each individually transformed inside of this project and inside of the pandemic, and what some of the lessons learned are that serve as wayfinders for us in this road to repair. We'll also share some of our our favorite moments from previous episodes. And if you haven't yet, please, please go check them out. Rate us, review us, all of the things. Um, The episodes are beautiful if we do say so ourselves. Recently, um, I've been reflecting on our road as co-host to create this podcast and how it's changed me from the inside out. Um, When we started the podcast, the pandemic had just begun and it was scary. It was stressful. Um, People just kind of kept going. Like, it was this odd thing. I mean, everybody's been there and knows what I'm talking about where Events didn't fully, fully cancel. They just kind of moved online. Work didn't really stop. It just went on to a conference call. And there were colleagues, friends of mine, family members who struggled with COVID and way too many people lost their lives. And the way that we held it was like it was an inconvenience. 
like it was a distraction. And the mantra, if you will, became just keep going, just, you know, push through. It'll be over soon. And we kept talking about getting back to normal or doing what we used to do as if anything was ever normal. I located out of the country during this time, and it was a tough start for the podcast with the distance and all of these uncertainties, and things were fastly shifting all around us. There was a constant energy of of upheaval, and I found that we as a team um, on the podcast had to dig deep into our values. We had to understand deeply what right relationship meant, what pacing meant, what time meant, because the timeline that we had for this podcast completely vanished. And there were moments where I really wasn't even sure we could complete the project. I think that was really where the most profound change came for me in the pandemic, because it forced me to start saying a new mantra to myself instead of this old kind of keep going, I kept saying to myself, respect the pandemic, respect the pandemic. Stop trying to go around it. Stop trying to go through it head on. Stop trying to box it in. Stop trying to contain it. Respect it. There is a slowness that this pandemic commands. There is a return to home that this pandemic demands. And for me, home, and you know, I talk about it all the time about my obsession with home, but home for me is an is a synonym, if you will, for roots, for rootedness. So where am I rooted? And what am I rooted in? That's what the pandemic brought to me. For too long, I think I've been rooted in a practice that said that my worthiness was about what I could produce. And that is capitalism that your worthiness is about what you can produce. And if I couldn't produce, in this example, this this podcast, then it meant that I was in some way failing. And the importance of The Road to Repair, not just the title of the show, but the idea behind it, was that this model of worthiness attached to productivity, it was time for that to end, that my worthiness was so much more about what I could give, make, but about my own experience, how I felt, my imagination. And it was time that we shut that down. So I think for me, there was a great shift in that of really challenging what made me me, what mattered most, what are those right relationships, what am I rooted in? And noticing that I have been rooted in a system of economic violence and that I learned behaviors. I learned an attitude that said, just keep going, even when everything around me was in upheaval, everything around me was falling apart in such chaos. Produce, produce, produce. And finally, I had to say, nah, respect the pandemic. Understand these lessons that are coming forward and what it's meant to do for you at this time so that nobody else ever goes through a moment where they are in a global health crisis and do not have the resources, the relationships, and the ability to keep themselves safe, mentally healthy, physically strong, feeling abundant. That is where I really wanted to be, not inside of what we have been taught. And that was a big change for me. That all deeply, deeply resonates, Jessica. And it's been a very similar experience for me 
Folks are probably familiar with the work of the Nat Ministry, but um, Tricia, aka the Nat Bishop, also talks about this a lot. And I think each of us co-hosts has had to grapple with the ways in which this, you know, productivity trap still shows up for us, right? Despite maybe, you know, cognitively understanding why it's problematic, it still shows up. So, you know, along similar lines, and this <laughs> this will come as a surprise to no one who knows me. But I struggle a lot with perfectionism. I can be really hard on myself and don't offer myself the same grace that I offer others. And so I've really been doing a lot of, you know, quote unquote, reparenting my inner child work on myself in this past year. Actually, I want to shout out Matisse Haynes. I'll drop her website in our show notes. But Matisse has been um, my coach and has really, really helped me to get to the root of these issues within within myself and see how, you know, this perfectionism and martyrdom that tends to show up within me, um, you know, the inability to give myself room to make mistakes even, these are all sort of aspects of white supremacy culture that have made a home in my body, in my brain, right? And so, yeah, she's been really, you know, instrumental in helping me kind of make that shift. And I'll say that I'm still a work in progress here, of course, in terms of unlearning this stuff. But our journey with this podcast has also given me the opportunity to to continue down that road and, you know, develop new practices, new ways of being. Um, so, yeah, on that note, I know we all have moments where we maybe learn new practices from the you know, the brilliant guests on our show this season. Um, Jessica, maybe you want to start. What were what were some of your favorite moments? What were some of my favorite lessons from the guests this season? Hmm. You know, I absolutely love this season. Just hearing first my co-host, Nikishka and Andrew X, was just brilliant to hear your magic and the way that each episode wove in these different themes with your unique perspective was chef's kiss. Fan-freaking-tastic. I loved it. I loved every moment. All right. So it's probably no surprise, but because I'm greedy, I have two favorite moments. There were others, but I tried to narrow it down and I could only get to two. I couldn't get to one. So here are my two. I loved talking with Adrienne Marie Brown. In the episode that we do together, we talk about imagination and specifically Black imagination. And it had me all fired up. Black imagination, and the reason I centered it, really emphasizing Black imagination, is because there has been always inside of Blackness this ability to look at an uncertain future and to breathe life into it. Like, I don't know what this is going to be, but I can feel it. I can see it. I believe it. And so it is. So we are doing it. That is Blackness. And I believe that there is a healing balm inside of that kind of imagination. One where we take the brokenness and distress and transform it into joy and a promise of a brighter tomorrow. So the central theme for me this year has been that we have been in a crisis of imagination. I think so. I think we've been in a crisis of imagination. And for me, it is important to challenge this and to sort of speak into this because it stops or it challenges our ability to reinvent ourselves and to repair. 
I have conversations about this all the time, about what it takes to create new attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors. And our imagination is all about the capacity we have to create those new attitudes, to evolve those beliefs, and to shift those behaviors. That comes from imagination. So how do we stop holding on to the status quo? And how do we come out of the emptiness of this experience of resource and capitalism? How do we face the fear of letting go of the old system and old ways of being and doing? Imagination. These questions you just raised, Jessica, are also, I think, a great segue into one of my favorite moments on this podcast that, you know, connects back to a lesson that this pandemic has tried to teach us over and over again. Um, It was actually a moment that didn't make it to the final cut of the episode, but that's only because that episode had just so many other gems. Um, To no one's surprise, that's the the interview that Jessica did with Adrian Murray Brown. Although, let me just say, like, all of our guests were phenomenal. But this interview that Jessica did with Adrian, um, Adrian shares a story about something that had just unfolded in her life at that time. And um, from that, there's a lot of lessons there that we can get into in a second. So I just want you to hear this. I guess a couple, you know, a week and a half ago, I paid off a major debt to the IRS and I was a war tax resistor. So from when we first met, I was a war tax resistor for 13 years, which meant that I refused to pay taxes that I knew would be going into war coffers. And since the majority of taxpayer money that we put into U.S. federal taxes goes to the war and they cannot guarantee that they won't put it there. This was, you know, through the Iraq war, the war in Afghanistan, the sort of perpetual war systems that we're in. I was just like, I don't I don't want to fund it. I don't agree with it. I don't think I should be forced to fund it. And I wrote a nice letter to the IRS every year just saying, I will still not be funding this. And I wasn't hiding. You know, I I wasn't like hiding. I I knew that this was a strategy that people have used throughout history as a resistance uh, model. And I tried to be really intentional with my money always. So even when I haven't had much, I have redistributed it. I put it back into charitable work over the past few years, particularly as my books have taken off and become bestsellers that money has gone back into community experiments in emergent strategy, community experiments um, in building curriculum so that the community can be with each other. But they caught up with me. Three years ago, they caught up with me. They garnished my wages. They took everything I had. So cleared out all of my bank accounts. And you you haven't lived until you've um, you know, been in a grocery store, no card is working, and then you call and they're just like, it's all gone. And... I feel fortunate that I had enough safety net that I wasn't like, oh, now I am homeless and I have nothing to eat. Like I had community, I had friends, but you know that the work of being a consultant, there were gigs that I was going on then through those years where I was like, what I eat or having a place to stay is fully dependent on if these organizers feed me, what they feed me and how they feed me. I don't have anything, right? And I'm in charge of this room, but I have nothing, (laughs) You know, there's nothing, you know, I won't be able to spend anything in addition to what's happening here. So it was super humbling as a, as an experience. It was super humbling as a political strategy experience, because what I recognized was I still deeply believe in war tax resistance as a methodology, but not in a singular way as I was practicing it. I was standing alone on my mountain, right? And What I now believe is if I was to ever do this strategy again, that it would be part of a mass effort, that 
a lot of us would say we are all going to divest from this war economy. So my family, my friends got me together and they were like, girl, you know what's going to happen? You're either going to go to jail on this, like, you know, you're going to go to jail because you don't have the money and and you're wanting to still resist, or you're going to pay this money and we're going to figure this out. And and I'll just, I mean, in the nitty gritty of it, like they, the IRS negotiated with me that they wanted me to pay upwards of 2000 a month to them, but my wages were garnished down to 400 a month and I had no money. <laughs> so I was really like, I don't understand the math of this. Right. And it really took, like, I had to pull back like resources that I had been flowing into community efforts. I had to call people and be like, I can't donate the same way I used to. I can't give the same way I used to. Like I have to pull this stuff back and really, I had to redistribute. I had to get a financial advisor and really sit down. I reached out to you at that point, Jessica. And I was like, I need a financial advisor. I need a lawyer. I need to understand how to protect myself, how to protect my writing work, my intellectual property, like all these things so that I can kind of be a grown-up moving through, you know, a grown-up anti-capitalist moving through capitalism. Like, how do I survive and have my integrity intact? So I posted about it because I finally made the payment, which meant a ton of redistribution, a ton of saving, a ton of sacrifice, a ton of, I'm like anyone, I'm like, I live in a one and a half bedroom in Detroit (laughs) that, you know, there's, I've been needing to upgrade and like be in a much bigger space for some time, but I've stayed right here. You know, like you just have to make those those hard calls. And so it has felt like I can't enjoy the abundance of my labor yet. That's okay because I'm going to clear this debt and then engage in the collective strategies to continue my, my justice work. Um, it felt amazing. It felt amazing to pay it, which is shocking, you know, because it's just like, I'm giving money away, you know, but it also, I had to rewire myself that the money isn't mine. I can't think of it as mine. I have to put a blessing on that money that it's going to go to education. That's going to go to the things I care about and that the best use of my time for this period of my life is not to be in jail if I don't have to be in jail. Right. So I'm like, if I thought that was the right move, the best move that I would have done it, (laughs) you know, I believe in direct action. I believe in in protest in that way. I do not believe in these prison systems. They do not play fair. They're not designed to. And I have work still to do. So if I can stay out here doing that work, I'm doing it. So long story short, (laughs) long story long, that's what happened, Jessica. I thought this story was so perfect in the way that Adrian categorizes what was happening, right? Um, Her sort of like standing on this mountain alone, like she says, trying to individualize a solution to what is a much deeper structural problem and and then trying to reframe it as, you know, what could it look like for this to, to not be an individual strategy, but maybe to be a collective strategy. In the last couple of years, in no small amount due to the total failure of our public health institutions and government overall, I think we've all been forced to come up with individual solutions to to this whole pandemic, like a whole global pandemic. We're, yeah, we're forced to, as individuals to to come up with solutions for this and to keep ourselves safe and to keep our families and communities safe. And there's a way in which this individualizing of what is a deeply systemic problem is actually a deep reflection of capitalism as a culture and white supremacy as a culture. Because if you 
you know, individualize the problem, then the power structures that exist that are at the root of the problem get to escape accountability. We all see those, um, you know, those little viral feel-good stories on social media sometimes, right? When a teacher might sacrifice something and, um, you know, I don't know, like now all the kids in our class get like free lunch or something and their lunch debt is completely wiped out. You know, y'all know the stories that I'm talking about where we kind of see that on, I don't know, the Today Show and other <laughs> morning uh, local news shows. And I think as a culture, we with those stories, what I think about is we tend to celebrate the teacher in that story, right? Let's just use that example. We tend to celebrate the teacher, the hero in the story, without questioning why that teacher had to do what they did in the first place. Like, why kids in this country go hungry in schools in the first place? And like, how grotesque is it that we have something like a lunch debt for kids? That is so wild to me. And on that same thread, um, you know, it's been said before, but it's it's really problematic how inside of this pandemic, moms and I think parents overall have, you know, we've been hailed as superheroes over and over again, right? But there's been little to no actual support that we've received. We have an economy that completely devalues and invisibilizes the work of caregiving. And I think we're all feeling the impacts of it, whether we're caregivers or not. Adrian's um, personal story was a reminder for me that when we move away from trying to individualize a systemic problem, we actually create the potential for real change to happen. We're not going to solve the climate crisis by, you know, shaming individual people into recycling more. We're not going to solve poverty with pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of false solutions. And we are not going to dismantle U.S. imperialism by singularly engaging in war tax resistance, as Adrian says. But there is hope and there is possibility in collective resistance strategies. And I think that's where we need to focus our attention. But yeah, what about you, Andrew? What were some of your favorite moments? You know, I really appreciated throughout some of these conversations, this embrace of this lens of economic biomimicry and how it informs right relationship, weaving together themes of signposts on this road to repair. Heard a lot of big picture thinking, systems thinking, that was unanimous across the guests that we featured on this show. Their work grounded in spirit and ancestor reverence, mutualism, cooperatives, community organizing. Multiple people validated community-owned and controlled productive assets. Nwamaka highlighted that through reparative, restorative economic framework that she and those that she works with utilize in their investing strategy that she shares. Kate and Tiffany also like Nwamaka, bringing it through their framework and investing strategy. Leah Penniman brought in the historical reference to post-emancipation reconstruction era and the call for community-owned and controlled productive assets, having land and productive assets on that land that can continue to care for future generations. Ania manifested through worker-owned cooperative growing out of Zebras Unite, and of course, most recently, Joseph Curitan O'Bron, their worker-owned cooperative conglomerate. So, you know, we see these themes repeating over and over, and Another one was this kind of spectrum from disposability, cancel culture, conflict avoidance on the one hand to building trust, investing in love on the other hand. Adrian Mary Brown obviously has a whole book on cancel culture. And, you know, Leah talked about how interpersonal conflict in community is something that is just enormously challenging, that has the capacity to potentially destabilize good work that has been done. 
really appreciated Nia talking about, you know, just the inevitability of conflict and really thinking critically about how we hold and carry that. And, you know, on a personal level, that's been something I've been sitting with too a lot is just, you know, these courageous conversations, navigating the wounds that come up maybe for ourselves, maybe for others and, and how we navigate that in relationship to one another. And, uh, you know, also highlighted connecting back to the disposability thing, you know, Obron growing out of cooperation among formerly incarcerated black men. Another theme is decentering whiteness and emphasizing black imagination and love. And again, uh, hearing that from Numaka, from Adrian Marie Brown, from Leah, you know, again, talking about the deep healing action of connecting black indigenous people to the land in a meaningful way. And you've heard, you know, my dear co-host Jessica and Nikishka constantly talking about this through this season as well. Please check out the episode with Leah Penniman and Andrew X. Whoa. Okay. All right. So I have been obsessed with economic biomimicry. That's the idea of using nature to inform your structures and to help you think about right relationship and communal order in economics and finance. So listening to Andrew and Leah It was just soothing. You can tell they have a really beautiful rapport, their family to one another, and it was just, I don't know, something to my body. It felt so connected to what they were saying. There's a part of the episode that I want you to peep, and it's when Leah's talking about going to Ghana and being there and doing her work as queen mother, and people start to quiz her about her life in the United States because, I mean... The United States is a little strange. And they said, you know, is it true that in the U.S. you all put seeds in the soil and you don't pray, you don't dance, you don't sing, you don't pour libation, you don't even say thank you to the earth, but you expect the seed to nourish you. And when I heard her say this, it struck me and I was silent. I mean, she talks about being struck silent, but I was silent as well, because what she said afterwards really hit home, particularly in this season of our life. She said, that's why you're sick. That's why you're sick. You treat the earth as a commodity, not as a relative. And there is this way way where If we care for one another, if we understood the level of interdependence, if we understood that the success of the other is uniquely bound to the success of myself, if I treated you as if you were my friend or family, and you know by now that that's the kind of lending that I do, but if if I treated you as a relative, if I treated you in a deep way like family in a loving way, then what will be possible to manifest And their conversation just blooms after this, y'all. It goes into ecological humility about asking permission and creating healthy boundaries. Now, let me tell you, Andrew then comes in and then he hits us, okay, with the fact that humility, the root word of humility, comes from humus, which actually means soil. 
And the idea of ecological humility undergirds my favorite topic of right relationship, talking about right relationship to the land and everything around you, and that you're not separated or superior to nature, but you're rooted in an operating system that is dependent on one another, and that it's a humbling aspect, okay? Mic drop, mic drop, mic drop for Andrew and Leah. Definitely a favorite. That was a favorite for me too. And what you just said about basically embodying that interdependence that we know to be so true in this world, that interdependence that's a law of nature. And yet most of us don't always internalize it and act that way, right? I sound like a broken record, but the pandemic has really, really revealed that. And that understanding and embodiment of interdependence is a theme that emerged throughout the season with our guests, but also behind the scenes in making of this podcast. And we've talked about this before, but Andrew, I want to make space here for you to share more on this topic and, you know, just bring us home. I'm really sitting with how difficult it can be for us to slow down, to pause, to take the space that we need to really care for ourselves, for our relationships. That's really big. It's, you know, I think for the first time, many of us have seen this beast of capitalism come to a grinding halt in the context of the pandemic. And in some ways, there's this interesting possibility that that opens, right? That this is a a system that we can actually transform. At the personal level, you know, I (laughs) experienced tremendous heartbreak this past year, lots of arrows through the heart and navigating that slowing down and tending to my foundations You know, there's a really fabulous podcast. It's called This Intentional Life that has supported me in moving through some of this breakdown into breakthrough this past year. The show's produced by Carme Gorley and Lotus Wong, and highly recommend checking that out. Talks a lot about both this external kind of hero's journey as well as the heroine's journey, kind of similar to the hero's journey, but more internally expressed. There's just some incredible things that have circled back to me in this time, some things that I'm letting go of in this time. The winds of change are blowing and I am counting my blessings and so grateful that I personally, through this pandemic, have in one way or another felt held by the universe. Um, But I'm also still trying to move more deeply into listening, into silence. And in full transparency, I want to share that, you know, our journey as co-hosts, co-producers for this show, we have been through so much in our lives individually, together as a team, and we're still holding on, still holding strong, excited to bring you all of this content, which we are so passionate about. Just to reflect the transparency in our group and some of these themes of right relationship and repair, there was a call that we had as a team that was particularly challenging that it opened up some wounds. And on that call, in all of the intensity in that moment, what shines through is how we held on, held on to all that we had built together in our relationships and in the work. Moments of the conversations where emotions were high, and yet we rooted in and found our way to repair. That these inevitable ruptures arise from the wounds that we carry, and that we are able to return to ourselves and to one another with compassion, grace, and humility. It is such a blessing if we are able to transmute these experiences into a source for character development and growth for deeper relationships. I say compassion and grace and humility, and they're just words that roll off the tongue, but to really practice that, to really live into and embody that, that is to be walking the road to repair. 
And I appreciate how Jessica mentioned that it's so much more than a title. The road is real and we are never stagnant on the journey between repair and disrepair. The issue that we experienced on that call had arisen from my own wounds, which then had a cascading, activating effect that I hadn't intended and that came from my own wounds around disposability and cancel culture, around abandonment and betrayal. And fortunately, I was able to recognize that and show up in deep humility and compassion for myself and for my beloved co-hosts. That was probably our most challenging moment, and we showed up for it. It wasn't the first time we showed up for each other through a pandemic and our relationships are ever deepening with ourselves and one another. Courageous conversations. I am forever grateful to you, Nikishka, and to you, Jessica, that you have held me through an immensely challenging time in my life and that you have held one another and that you have held this team and this work. I know each of us are so grateful to be bringing this conversation to all of you out there. Grateful to you for tuning in, for sharing it, for summoning the courage to live into it, however that may live for you in this moment. And yeah, Jessica, Nikishka, words really cannot express the gratitude that I feel toward both of you and the respect and admiration and love. I'm deeply honored to be collaborating with you in our effort to share some of what we've learned, continue to learn, bring this conversation to a wider audience. Thank you again to all of the guests that we had on this show, all of the wisdom that you've shared, and the road continues. And I'm excited to see what's next as we continue to walk alongside one another on this road to repair. Thank you for joining us on the road to repair. Our greatest hope is that this show will have a transformative impact for those of you tuning in. The Road to Repair podcast is produced by Andrew X, Nikishka Ayengar, and Jessica Norwood with amazing post-production support from Frequency Media. Music for the show was produced by Andrew X in close collaboration with artist and sound designer Zachary Seth Greer and the luscious vocals and original poetics of Naima Penman. Shout out to Sofa Hood for all of the amazing artwork. You can check out more of all of their great work on their websites, which you can find links to at theroadtorepair.com. We always love the social media shout outs and you can help this message ripple out to those who might really benefit from it by rating this show and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you feel called to, you can make a donation to support the show at www.theroadtorepair.com. Thanks again for tuning in and stay tuned for our next episode. We stand with the land. We are far more than a commodity. We join with the water. Our bodies are not property. We're reclaiming our shared sovereignty and shaping an economy based on reciprocity. Cooperative, accountable, ground in justice and ecology. The empire is toppling. Who want to be about this prophecy? We've been summoned to the summit. Trust we here for something. What is now possible? Who are we becoming?